This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Apple's market share of smartphone sales in China is the biggest once again. How long will it last this time? Upgrade programs for phones are one thing. Now there's an upgrade program for Macs. We've got some of the details. A proposed British bill would banish default passwords. We discuss the pros and cons. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing fine. So tell me, what did you buy for Black Friday? Uh, let's see. Well, I, I don't know if I should say because it might spoil some surprises for my kids. Do you require your children to listen to your podcast? <laughs> no, no. I, I guess I guess uh, that would be a bit of a surprise, but I, I don't know if I want it out there because, you know. So you bought a thing and you bought a whatchamacallit and you bought four of those, what, what do you do things, well, right? I'm not going to get into specifics okay. just in case. Well, I actually bought a lot of stuff. I've never bought so much on Black Friday in my life. I bought a new TV, a new sound bar, a new Apple TV, and a new HDMI cable. Oh, wow. I, I, I would have I said the TV would be, um, you know, a pretty decent Black Friday purchase. Yeah. Well, I'd wanted Dolby Atmos for a while, and my current TV doesn't have it. And I got a, an OLED TV, and I got a Dolby Atmos sound bar, the Sonos Arc. And then, of course, since it's HDMI 2.1, you need a different HDMI cable, which I didn't have. And I got a new Apple TV, and so the whole TV room is is updated, and it's wonderful. Okay, so I think you're giving a virtual talk this evening. Now, this will be uh, Thursday, December 2nd. So we're recording this on the 1st, and tomorrow when we release it is the 2nd. And at 7.05 p.m., you're giving a talk. That's right. I'm speaking at the Antivirus Asia Researchers 2021 Virtual Conference. My presentation was pre-recorded, but then there will be like a five-minute Q&A at the end. Uh, so we'll have a link to that in our show notes. As long as you're listening to this, you know, early in the day on Thursday, um, you may still be able to uh, to watch that conference presentation on Thursday Thursday night in the U.S. So it's 7.05 p.m. Pacific. So that gives all, all day for those of us in Europe or on the East Coast of the U.S. Yep. Okay. We have some more... Asian news, Apple has become the largest smartphone brand in China in October 2021. And we're going to link to a website called CounterPoint Research, and they have an interesting chart. What I find really surprising is that Huawei's market share has plummeted in the past year, and everyone else's market share of Apple, Viva, and Oppo has gone up a little bit. Now, I never heard of Viva, and I only know Oppo from having made DVD and Blu-ray players. They were the, one of the companies you could buy multi-region DVD and Blu-ray players from for a long time, and they don't do that anymore. And they've gone really seriously into smartphones now. That was the biggest surprise to me, too, was seeing how much Huawei has dipped over time. Oppo and Vivo, I'm, I'm I'm only familiar with those just because I follow the tech press a little bit. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't really be too familiar with those brands because they're not brands that are here in the U.S. But Huawei, it's a very well-known brand. And it was surprising to me to see how much that has dipped. And I think certainly that has contributed to, you know, bringing Apple up in terms of market share to some degree. Uh, Apple's market share went up sharply. The the graph you'll see in the, if you look at the page that we linked to in the show notes, the graph doesn't have lines across to see the numbers. They only have numbers at the current 
month. And Huawei's down at 8%, and Apple's at 22%. And there's a sharp rise from what looks like August to October for Apple. Very, very sharp. What happened between August and October? There was a new phone, but could that have made that much of a difference? And Huawei dropping in the summer, but then plateauing at 8%, whereas they were previously up around what looks like 40 or maybe even 50%. Yeah, and, and really 2019 and 2020, Huawei was easily the, the number one brand for the vast majority of that time. And then all of a sudden, like right at the end of 2020 and then beginning of 2021, that's when things started to shift away from Huawei. And now they're down to about 8% market share, which is which is pretty surprising. But the reason that we bring all this up, of course, is because, you know, talking about Apple in China, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to think that, you know, with Apple being such a major player in the Chinese market, um, what the potential implications are for how Apple is going to behave in relation to Chinese law and privacy and things like that. Yeah, Apple is going to be in a position where they can't afford to not do what the Chinese government wants them to do. You can see in the chart that in the fall of 19, Apple's market share jumped a lot and then slowly slid down in the fall of 2020. So with each new iPhone release, it goes up a lot and then slides over time. And so this could just be another increase that's going to slide down. But if you look over the past two years, it's been stepping up each time. It's important to note that this is only 68%. The total market share of these four brands is only 68%. So there's number th another 32%. Presumably, Samsung has got to be in there as well as other small manufacturers. Right. These are just the the, the top four brands. But, uh, you know, at 22% market share, really, that's that's not bad. I, I mean, that's impressive that Apple is, is at least for the time being, um, you know, like, like you say, until they probably will slide off again after um, the new iPhone's been out for a little while. But it is pretty impressive to see that uh, that Apple's reached that number one spot again it, for the first time since, uh, what was it, December 2015. That's um, It's been a long time since Apple's had that position in China. So the same website has a lot of data like this, and I just clicked on a U.S. smartphone quarterly market data report. Without looking, what percentage do you think Apple has of smartphone sales in the U.S.? I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Um, maybe it's somewhere around a quarter of the market. Oh, more than that. 47%. Really? Yeah. Wow, that is surprising. Yeah. Samsung is second at 34%. Lenovo, 9%. OnePlus at 3%. And others, 7%. Now, this is Q3 2021, because in 2020, Apple went from 46 to 46 to 40 to 65% in Q4 of 2020. So it's very possible that they're going to go up when we take into account the current quarter, which includes the latest iPhone. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, you hear so much about Android. It seems like there's, um, uh, you know, there's so many different Android manufacturers, so many brands of Android phones in the U.S. It, that's pretty impressive for Apple to to have that much market share. I mean, really, that's that's dominating the market here in the U.S. Well, do we want to just quickly talk about global market share? Sure. Who do you think has the leading global market share? They're up to Q2 2021. Which company do you think has the lead in global market? Market share. Um, let's see. I'm I'm just gonna guess Samsung. Yeah, they've got twenty percent. Apple has fourteen percent. Xiaomi has thirteen. Vivo ten. Oppo ten, and others have thirty-two. It's interesting that the Chinese market is so big that those two brands, Vivo and Oppo, have ten percent of the global market share because they have the twenty odd percent of market share in China. 
Yeah, yeah. China really is is an important market, and it's it's easy to see why you know Apple wants to cater to China so much. Where we get a little bit nervous about this is is thinking about privacy implications for the rest of the world. Because if Apple is bending over backwards to do whatever the Chinese government wants them to do, including potentially things like you know. Um, Giving the government access to uh, to things that they may not be doing for other governments, that's just going to embolden other governments, and they're going to want the same access that China is getting to data and other things like that. Okay. In, in other interesting Apple news for business, Macro is reporting about a new Mac upgrade program. And the the way they're saying this is Apple introduces new MacBook upgrade program for business partners. In association with CIT as the financing partner, Apple has launched a new Mac upgrade partner for small businesses and Apple business partners that allows companies to easily distribute and upgrade their fleets of Mac at an affordable price to all of their workers. Now, the website in question is on this CIT website. I never heard of this company. Apple doesn't seem to be promoting this directly for now. I really like the idea. This is like the iPhone upgrade program. But what's different is when you do the iPhone upgrade program, you're eligible to upgrade after a year. And here you can return or upgrade a Mac after 90 days, which seems like an awfully short time. Renting a Mac, leasing a Mac technically at anywhere from 30 to $75 a month, I would really like to do that. Yeah, it actually is a consumer, you know, if you're the kind of person who really likes to upgrade frequently, or I, I wonder if there's some other things in here too. There, there's almost, when they're talking about every three months, there's almost an implication that maybe things might get damaged that frequently. And that maybe this is kind of partly an insurance program type thing. Like, you know, you don't have yeah. to worry about if something happens to your device, you can just send it in and they'll send you a new one. You know, if you are a particularly accident prone consumer, um, you know, that that could be uh, something that might interest you as well. Again, this is not being targeted at consumers at this point in time. No, this is for businesses. And, and my thought is that business professionals who are on the road who take their laptops on the plane, on trains, and they may get damaged or, or knocked around a little bit, they don't care too much about the computer itself as long as it works. So they're more than happy to be able to change if they need to. Right. They care about their data. They don't necessarily care yeah. about, you know, the specific device. So, yeah, I mean, this seems really interesting. It's, it, it is funny that, you know, there's no mention of this that we've been able to find on Apple's website yet. But um, but it does seem to be an Apple authorized program, which is uh, which is interesting to, to see them doing this. OK, Apple, they got a fine in Italy. They got eleven million dollar fine for aggressive methods in commercial use of private data. The Italian watchdog is criticizing Apple, saying that they do not immediately and explicitly provide the user with any indication on the collection and use of their data for commercial purposes. And now, it's true. When you set up an Apple device, they immediately ask you to create an Apple ID or sign into your Apple ID, but they don't say what's going to happen with that data. Now, I, you know, when you go through, you've got to agree to this thing, and it's about 80,000 words long, and you're never going to read it. But it's actually a good point here that it's not explicit consent. It's not – they're not saying how the data is being used. Well, I would argue that Apple – 
puts the privacy policy right in front of you. I mean, they basically force you to agree to the privacy policy when you at the time that you create your account, when you get you know a new device, you've got to agree to Apple's terms and conditions and their privacy policy. So I I guess what this watchdog group is is essentially saying is that well they're not they're not putting it right in front of you you have to like actually you know you have to actually read eighty thousand <laughs> words or more right and it's like well yeah but I mean isn't that what the law kind of requires right I mean you they have to cover themselves legally and so they have to include all the legalese. And so aren't they just doing what they're legally required to do? Well, maybe it's time that the legalese isn't enough, that there needs to be some bullet points with more explanations. Because 90% of that legalese is legalese, right? Defining who does this and this means that and all that. And they're not really saying anything when you read these things. And I've read some of these terms and conditions at times out of curiosity and to write articles. And in many cases, it's very hard to understand what they mean. I've noticed that more companies lately have been doing something where they have like a summary of their privacy policy. And they, they of course, legally, they have to say this summary is not legally binding, but here are here's sort of a, a basic outline of what's included in this privacy policy and how it may apply to you. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know, maybe this Italian watchdog group would be a little happier if Apple did more of that. It's not exactly clear to me what, what they're really suing for, but I'm, you know, $11 million also is not it's, it's, any it's significant amount of money to Apple. They just yeah. reach down between the cushions <laughs> on a sofa someplace and find that. <laughs> right. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some more Apple news, new malware, and then we're going to talk about default passwords. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and Apple's latest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, last week we talked about Apple's lawsuit against the NSO group for the Pegasus malware, and we mentioned that Apple had stated that they would be alerting people who that they knew were affected by this malware. And again, we're not sure exactly how. It's apparently because some of the the files used to get through the vulnerability were stored on iCloud. We have information that Apple alerted a Polish prosecutor that her iPhone had been likely compromised by NSO. We'll link to 9to5Mac, who has a screenshot of the text message. And it talks about the fact that some of these attacks have gone through popular cloud services, including iMessage as well as Facebook Messenger, Gmail, Signal, and WhatsApp. 
So there's the warning. There's an explanation. It doesn't seem that there's that much more than that. I guess this person, presumably a prosecutor, will have the tools to go to some IT specialist in her country to find out a bit more. Right. I think where this is really interesting is that now we actually have uh, a screenshot, you know, showing exactly what this uh, this message will look like. Um, now, at the same time, uh, this is also kind of interesting from the perspective that you know, bad guys may also try to leverage this and send fake, you know, uh, Apple notifications, alert, so supposedly alerting you that you have been targeted. And uh, so that's something to watch out for as well. Um, I, I don't anticipate that we'll probably see too much of that, but you know, maybe in targeted attacks, if if you are the kind of person who thinks you might be targeted, and a you know a, a phishing group or some adversary wants to hack you, they might actually send you a message that looks very similar to this legitimate real Apple message alerting you. So just something to to be aware of. So what's interesting is when I dig a little deeper into this, so 9to5Mac links to a Polish website called Think Apple, and then I see the tweet that this lady, Eva Wroszek, posted in Polish with a screenshot in English, and she mentioned Apple support in the tweet, and Apple support replies, we offer support via Twitter in English. Contact us for help in your preferred language here. So the Apple support account was not able to help this person at all. It's kind of, I mean, Apple should be able to provide more support on Twitter for that sort of thing. I can understand that there's only one Apple support account. There's not like an Apple support PL for Poland, but it's kind of Apple support's official public reply to her tweet is like, we can't help you in your language. Yeah, that's kind of uh, a little bit disappointing, I would have to say. <laughs> okay, there's new malware, and this malware is capable of evading all antivirus products except Intego Virus Barrier. This is one of those headlines that, that I thought was worth mentioning just because, you know, people ask us about these things. They call, they call up our support when they see headlines like this, and they go, oh my gosh, am I protected? Uh, I, I just read this headline that new malware is capable of evading almost all antivirus products. What is this? Am I, am I going to be infected? Okay, well... First of all, most of the time when there are headlines like this, it's really Windows malware. But what's what's going on in this particular case is that there's some JavaScript downloader malware. Uh, so, and, and it's not too often that we see malware that's JavaScript based. Although JavaScript is a cross-platform technology, um, this particular malware really doesn't target the Mac at this point in time. So it's not something you really need to worry about. However, just so everyone is, is aware and can rest easy, Intego Antivirus, of course, uh, for, for Windows, as well as um, Virus Barrier on the Mac, do detect this malware. And so you don't need to worry about it. The malware, by the way, is called Rat Dispenser, <laughs> which is kind of a funny name. Um, I had one of those Pez rat dispensers <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. So Rat Dispenser is uh, not a concern on the Mac at this point in time, but you are protected if you use Intego antivirus software. We want to talk about something. Our main topic is an article. We're, we're going to link to an article in Gizmodo with an erroneous headline. It says the UK just banned default passwords and we should too. 
the subtitle to the article is the new bill would require unique passwords for IoT devices and prevent those passwords from being reset to universal factory default. Note the conditional would. There is a bill that's going to parliament which will, if passed, ban these things. It's not the UK just ban default passwords. Right. So what we're talking about in default passwords is when you get a device and the password and the username and password is admin admin or admin one two three four five six or whatever. The problem is that most people never change those passwords. And this means that these devices are at risk, that since Internet of Things devices are on the network, it's relatively trivial to, you know, just run a script to find whatever, well, I was going to say ring doorbell, but they have good passwords now, but to find devices like that that are easy to get into. What I've found is certain types of devices come with uh, a de- not default. They come with a preset password that's like alphanumeric. So routers that I get from ISPs here, they always have a password that's on the box, it's on the device, and it's on a little card. So you have multiple places. I always take pictures of them when I get those and put them in my password manager because what I'm worried about is if I lose them and there is no admin, admin default, how do I get back into the device? Right. And and that's a little bit different scenario than just a default admin, admin, username and password. Um, in that type of scenario, that's a really significant problem if you're talking about devices that are directly accessible from the Internet. Right. Um, it's been a, a while since a lot of router brands have done things like that, you know, had a public facing uh, interface by default and also had, um, you know, re- so in other words, remote administration turned on and also had a default password. Thankfully, most brands are not doing that um, anymore. But, uh, you know, this is something that people should still be aware of because a lot of these, you know, cheap devices that you get, um, Internet of Things devices, um, are, are going to have default passwords. And sometimes those devices actually are accessible directly on the public Internet. Um, you know, I, I remember, um, and, and this has been, gosh, like, 20 years ago now, probably. Um, but I, I remember that at one point I had an internet service provider here in the United States that if I hooked up a, uh, a regular network switch directly to my router, um, I would get a unique IP address for from the ISP for every device on my network. It would have its very own public IP address. Now, that's not something that you really see very often anymore because IP address space is diminishing for the the old uh, IPv4 addresses, uh, the ones that are more memorable. Um, so it's not something you're likely to see still happening uh, these days, but it, it has happened in the past. There might still be ISPs that do that. And if you've got a device that's directly accessible on the internet that has its very own IP address, that device potentially could be completely exposed. So if it's got a weak password or or worse yet, a default password that anybody can just look up, that's a really big problem. And I just did a search while you were talking, and I found tons of websites that have lists of default passwords for routers. Oh, yeah. Uh, because this is something, that, and some of these are, are probably old routers that aren't sold anymore, but this has been well known for a long time that these passwords existed. So the point of this new law is to require unique passwords on IoT devices. Now, I'm trying to think which devices I have that even have passwords because I I mentioned I just got a new TV and a Sonos soundbar. 
they don't really have passwords because, I mean, the TV, you can sign into accounts, but that's different. The soundbar, you link to an account through an app. So the device itself isn't directly accessible. I have Philips Hue lights. I don't know if the bridge that they use has a password. I don't remember. And if it needs one, I'd have to look to try and find it. So I don't know what kind of devices they're talking about. Are they just thinking of smart light bulbs and other things? Well, I, certainly I, I would say a lot of like cheaper IoT devices tend to be ones where in order to log in to configure it initially, they probably have a, a, a default username and password on them. And of course, a lot of times when you have default passwords, um, sometimes they'll recommend that you change the password. And then, you know, if you ever get locked out of your device, then you can factory reset it to get back to the default password. Um, so some devices actually will walk you through that process of changing the password when you first log in to set it up. But, you know, if you get basic functionality out of it, then uh, it's quite possible that some people would never log into it to initially try to set it up and be prompted to change that password. Or if it works for them, they don't want to have to worry about a password because, oh, no, another password I have to remember. And what you find with devices, password managers that work with a web browser are very efficient because you're logging into a website. But what you find with devices that you're connecting through an app, they might not do that. So in order to save that password in a password manager, you have to manually go to the password manager and create a login for it. I'm finding more and more websites and apps are doing the kind of thing where the username is on one screen and the password is on the next screen. And password managers don't always cope with that very well either. Right, right. That's a good point. So this is not law yet, in spite of the, the headline. This is just a, a proposal. But it is interesting, you know, to, to consider maybe this is something that should be um, more widely accepted that, you know, companies across the world, you know, wherever they are, um, should have a different practice. There, there are ways to do this that are better. As you mentioned, for example, wireless routers that you get from your internet service provider very often will come with a, a password that's unique to that device. And that is a, at least a better way of going about this, right? This, that's a, a lot better than just having the same password <laughs> across an entire product line um, because uh, obviously that's something that anybody can just find very easily looking up uh, online. So a device-specific unique password, that's a quite a bit better thing. And that's something that um, I think is one potential solution for this as these companies are trying to move away from that universal one password for all devices. Okay, that's enough for this week. A uh, reminder to check out Josh's talk this evening at 7.05 p.m. if you're listening to this on Thursday, 7.05 p.m. Pacific time. And until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.